0: Lord God, we just thank you. We thank you for how much you love each individual. We thank you so much that you love me. I thank you so much that you love every single person here in this building, at Yarem, watching online, and even if they're not watching. No matter how far or close they are to you, no matter how far or close they feel to you, God, we thank you that you love them. We thank you that you died for every single one of us. We thank you that you see us. We thank you that you know us. We thank you that we can put our trust in you. God, would you be with us this morning as we open up your word? God, would you be speaking to us and would we be listening as well? Would you help us to see the world around us the same way that you see the world around us? let see each individual as individuals. Each individual as a child of God, as someone made in your image, as someone lovely and, and precious to you. God, would you be with us this morning? Um, God, would you be with our worlds, um, both personal and, and global? Um, there's so much going on, and we, we trust that you are in control of it all. Thank you so much for loving us first, and it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. G'day, everybody. So nice to have you in the building this morning. Um, Yarrams, Yarram people, Yaramites. What's the collective Yarm term? I will have to know that for next time. It's so glad to uh, so glad to have you um, watching as well, um, where you are, and if you're at home, uh, very special welcome to you as well. Week two in the Psalms. I think uh, you've we've forgotten how to count though. I mean, Rob was on week one last week. This is your, your week three preacher, your week three message and then next week you're going to have your week two preacher, your week two message. It's been a, uh, a little bit of a whirlwind end of the week. Um, but I'm, I'm so glad to be able to bring you the Word. I'm so glad to be able to open up the Psalms you, with you this morning. Uh, Rob brought us uh, a, a Psalm of Praise l- last week. I don't know whether you, you know your Bibles well enough to uh, uh, to know that there are different categories of Psalms. You probably do. Um, that could have been very insulting if I, if I left it there. <laughs> Um, yes Tom, you go to Bible college, you know your Bible well. well done. Um, uh, no, it, it, Rob brought us the Psalm of Praise last week and was encouraging us to sing a new song to the Lord. So, a little bit of family time, a little bit of accountability, how'd we go with that? Um, has God been at work in your life this week? Has God been doing things for you this week? Um, have you got a new song to sing to the Lord this week? I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that to, to be like, oh well, you didn't do your homework you Get an F. Um, uh, I I do that to to encourage us. Let's let's keep thinking about these things. Let's keep bringing a a new song to the Lord, and and maybe over, you know, afterwards with fellowship over tea and coffee, let's let's talk about that. How what has God been doing? Let's have that on our lips as we meet together. Let's have that in our um, in our conversations as we um, as we talk to one another. What's God been doing in your life uh, this week? Uh, Today, though, I am completely flipping it. We are not doing a psalm of praise at all. We are doing a psalm of lament. Really wonderful. Uh, Hands up, Richmond supporters. Hands up, Essendon supporters. I had to drive three hours just to watch my team get absolutely killed by the cats yesterday. So, I had a praise psalm lined up. I've completely flipped around. We are doing a psalm of lament today. (laughs) No, um, we are always doing a psalm of lament. Um... 40% 40% of the psalms in, um, in, in the book are lament. They, they're actually um, sad psalms, people crying out to God, people um, needing God's assistance. Um, so the, the psalms aren't shy about sort of different emotions. If you're feeling angry, if you're feeling sad, if you're feeling... Um, no matter what you're feeling, no matter where you are emotionally, there is going to be a Psalm for you and the big purpose of the Psalms, you know, the Hebrew poetry, we, we lose some of the like poetic nature of of the Psalms as we bring them into English, you know, Psalm 119 is supposed to be an acrostic poem but if you look at it in English, it's not going to be that way, it's only that way in Hebrew but we, we don't lose this sense of what the Psalms are trying to do, the, the big move of the Psalms, a big thrust behind the Psalms, is that they are moving us into greater praise of God. So every um, Psalm of Lament will have some mention of praise in, in it, there's only one which doesn't. Um, and even as you go through the, the Psalms as an entire book, you find less and less Psalms, as, uh, Psalms of Lament, you find less and less Psalms in the book of Psalms you find less and less psalms of lament as uh, the further you go through the book of Psalms. The closer you get to Psalm 150, the more praiseworthy it is and the more positive it is. Um, The the lament psalms aren't just sad psalms though. They're not just um, this one monotonal sort of, the feeling today is sad and the words are all just the same and, you know, you've just copy-pasted 40% of the psalms over and over. But they're a lot more different, a lot more um, unique and, and nuanced than, um, than we initially think. You know, you have some Psalms talking about abandonment, you have some Psalms talking about betrayal from a close friend, you have some Psalms talking about loneliness, talking about grief. Um, the one we're looking at today is maybe talking about the, um, the feeling of being overwhelmed or, you know, besieged by an, an enemy. And there are so many, so many other different emotions. And Like I'm saying, it's not just that you have to feel this general sense of sadness to appreciate a lament, but it will meet you right where you are. Um, some of them will meet you right in your loneliness, some will meet you right in your grief, some will meet you right in your doubt of God. Anyway, with that being said, let's read today's psalm. So we've got Psalm 56, if you want to turn there into your, in your paper Bibles, if you want to scroll there on your phones... Um, Psalm 56 is the psalm we're looking at today. It's a psalm of David, and if you read up the top, it says, uh, in in the prescript there, it says that um, it's a a psalm that he wrote while he was captured by the Philistines in uh, a city called Gath. A Philistine city called Gath. So, let us read it together. Psalm 56. Be merciful to me, my God, for my enemies are in hot pursuit. All day long they press their attack. My adversaries pursue me all day long. In their pride, many are attacking me. When I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust and am not afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? All day long, they twist my words. All their schemes are for my ruin. They conspire, they lurk, they watch my steps, hoping to take my life. Because of their wickedness, do not let them escape. In your anger, God, bring the nations down. Record my misery. List my tears on your scroll. Are they not in your record? Then my enemies will turn back when I call for help. By this, I will know that God is for me. In God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I trust and am not afraid. What can man do to me? I'm under vows to you, my God, I'll present my thank offerings to you. For you have delivered me from death and my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. In this psalm, we can see, uh, I mean, other than the, the prescript at the top, we can see that David is under attack. I mean, in, in verses 1 and 2, there, it says uh, it says twice um, that he is on the run. Uh, my, my enemies are in hot pursuit. Um, all day long the presser attack. My enemies, my adversaries pursue me all day long. He's on the run. So one of the, the really, really big questions you've got to ask yourself when you come to a book like The Sun is, is what is happening actually happening or is it just David feeling like he's on the run? Is it just like an emotional thing or is it actually happening to him? I mean like maybe David's just a little bit overworked and he's feeling like some deadlines are approaching and he's a little bit pressed, a little bit stressed, a little bit overwhelmed, maybe he's um, uh, he 's forgotten an essay, and it 's overdue, and the lecturer has been emailing him about um, about submitting it you know I've, as a student, that would make me feel like someone was in hot pursuit of me and <laughs> someone was coming for my life it 's not not a real example by the way it 's uh, definitely definitely uh, hypothetical <laughs> uh, we can. Uh, Like I was saying, we can tell from the prescript that this is an actual event, though. Um, It's it's very helpful in letting us know exactly uh, where we can find this. So David has been seized by the Philistines in a city called Gath. Um, And if you you look up this psalm on uh, on Google, it will tell you that this story is in uh, 1 Samuel uh, chapter 21. So I'm just going to read you uh, verses 10 to 15 from 1 Samuel. And it will give you a picture of, of what is actually happening to David. So, 1 Samuel 21, "...that day David fled from Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath. But the servants of Achish said to him, Isn't this David, the king of the land? Isn't he the one they sing about in their dances? Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands." David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, king of Gath. So he pretended to be insane in their presence... And while he was in their hands, he acted like a madman, making marks on the doors of the gate and letting saliva run down his beard. Akish said to his servants, look at the man, he's insane, why bring him to me? Am I so short of madmen that you have to bring this fellow here to carry on like this in front of me? I read that so much as like, you guys are insane enough, why do I need this guy? You reckon he's a war hero? He's got dribble down his beard, he's... He's not a war hero. Uh, Must this man come into my house? Uh, And then at the start of chapter 22, we see that David escapes. David leaves uh, Gath and he goes into the mountains to hide in a a cave and some people from Israel come to him. So David has found uh, found himself in the hands of the Philistines. So the Philistines, traditionally Israel's enemies, you would think that he may find himself in the hands of the Philistines. But did you catch how it actually happened at the beginning? Like He wasn't captured in the middle of a battle, he wasn't beaten by the Philistines while Israel were at war with them, but he was fleeing from Israel, he was fleeing from King Saul, he was fleeing from his own country, and he ran straight into the arms of the Philistines. So the king of Israel was after him, and he was on the run from his own people when this happened. Um, We've got many phrases in the English language to describe this, you know, out of the frying pan, into the fire, or caught between a rock and a hard place. But but David's got nowhere to run. I mean, he can't stay, he's, uh, you know, in danger, he can't leave, he's, you know, running straight to the arms of more danger. But notice that the language, uh, going back to Psalm 56, that's being used in verses 1 and 2. We get this repetition of all day long. All day long they press their attack. My adversaries pursue me all day long. There is no respite for David in his in his mind. In this situation, the closer he gets to Philistines, the further he runs away from the danger of Saul. But he's also running straight into the hands of Israel's enemies. He's got nowhere to go, and I'm certain that we feel this in our own lives too. Do you feel that you are ever on the run from situations? Do you feel like you're running away from things? and you just seem to be hurtling straight into to other things. Maybe it's financially. Every time you, you go to the grocery at the grocery store, the supermarket, I don't know why I'm American today, um, but every time you go to the supermarket and you have to pay for something, you're reminded again, Or oh, this is a problem, this is dominating my mind. Are you overwhelmed perhaps by work deadlines or study deadlines? You just seem to get rid of one thing and then you're just into the, the next thing. I, I think more topically, we're still... Dealing with Corona, it's been three years and we're still dealing with the effects of COVID. I mean, it just doesn't seem to end. One lockdown into another lockdown. We're finally rid of masks, thankfully, but you know we're all just keeping them close at hand because we may need them again. Um, you've got Ukraine and the Rush- Russia. You've got the floods in, um, in Northern Australia. It just seems like we get finished with one problem and then we're dealing with another one straight away. You know, we're barely managing to outrun one thing But we found that we've run ourselves straight into the next thing. There's just no respite. So, what's he going to do about his situation? What's he going to do about um, being overwhelmed about this danger which is all around him? Um, We get a hint of what he's going to do in the first six words of the psalm. So, in verse 1 there, it says, be merciful to me, my God, be merciful to me, my God. David has turned straight to God for help. He's turned straight to God for help. And We see this throughout the psalm as well. There's a repeated line in there, in verse 4 and in verse 11, where David's saying, basically, in God I trust and am not afraid. What can mortals do to me? In God I trust and am not afraid. So when David is afraid, when David's overwhelmed, he's putting his trust in God. He's turning to God straight away. He recognizes who is ultimately in control of the situation. It isn't himself, it isn't Akish, king of Gath, it's not Saul, king of Israel, but it's God. It's God who is in control of his situation. We see in other Psalms people sometimes blame God for the situations that they're in, but we we don't see this here. Some other Psalms say that God is deceitful, Um, some other Psalms have the author blaming God for their circumstance, or wondering if God sees them, wondering if God has left them um, and has forgotten about them. But in this psalm, David shows a glimmer of confidence that he has in God. When life gets tough, when it's feeling overwhelming and he's afraid, David puts his trust in God. And what faith, what confidence in God David has, that he would turn to him for help when his life is on the line. When all said and done, when it really, really matters to him, when it is literally life or death, that's where David goes. That's where David goes. So would we do the same in our life situations? Would we turn to God straight away or would we maybe put our trust in, in other things? Would we trust in our money to bail us out? Would we trust in our relationships to rescue us from this overwhelming world? we trust in our intelligence to outthink this situation. You know, I'm clever enough. I can, I can get out of this myself. Why would I turn to God? What do you put your trust in? What are you putting your trust in this week? What are you putting your trust in this morning? As we move further th- through the psalm, we see in verses 5 and 7, oh, 5 to 7, um, we're seeing that that's showing the, the wickedness of the people that are pursuing David. I mean, have you ever heard these words describe someone good in the Bible? They're, they're twisting David's words, they're scheming for David's ruin. Um, other translations say that their thoughts against David are for evil. They're conspiring or they're gathering together and, you know, joining forces to, to get him. Lurking, watching his steps, hoping to take his life. They're not righteous things, are they? They not describe a, a good person in the Bible. Um, some of these things may have actually been happening. You know, maybe over in Israel there's some sort of propaganda thing being done by Saul. Look at David, he's a, I don't know, he's a murderer. He killed his tens of thousands, he's a murderer. Saul, you killed your thousands though. You know, maybe maybe they are twisting the words, the things he said. Maybe um, the Philistines were lurking around going, is that David? Let's just put someone on him, let's make sure we watch him and see if it actually is him. Um, we don't actually get the, the they of the psalm, though. Like, David doesn't say, it's Saul, he's the one who's after me, or, it's the Philistines there after me. Um, but but either, either way, whether it is Saul, whether it is the Philistines, whether it's both, um, this is a classic way that the psalms paint the picture of the plight of the righteous against the wicked. They talk about the, the wicked, you know, conspiring and twisting their words, and the author is seemingly the, the righteous person in this situation. You know, everybody's against me, everyone's watching me. Uh, And even in verse 7 there, the the line about God's anger is um, regarding God's justice. Regarding God's justice. Um, David's really saying, I am righteous and you are righteous. So make sure you remember to deal with the wicked who are after me. Make sure you remember to to mete out your justice against the, the wicked people. And we feel this too, right? Like, this isn't a foreign concept. We sometimes feel a little hard done by. We feel like we're doing everything right and everything wrong keeps happening to us. Um, You feel like everything's against you. People seem to twist your words. Everyone's trying to find an opportunity. Sometimes everyone's trying to find an opportunity to to bring you down, to to be the, the reason that you have fallen. And you feel like you need God to understand and be on your side. I need to reiterate that I'm righteous and these guys are wicked. I mean, surely, God, you, you, you see that, right? And, and this is why trusting God is so important. Like we can't trust these situations. Uh, we can't um, change the, these situations. We can't affect the words that people say. We can't affect the things that they try to do to us. So we have to hand it over to God who can change the situations. He's the one we should be. Putting our trust in? This begs an enormous question and I feel like I, I always do this. I preach in a way which makes you want to, want to question uh, how we could actually do this. How do I put my trust in God? Like, what is the actual thing that I have to do to put my trust in God? So, I've got an answer for you. It's the most low-hanging, small group answer ever in the entire world. But prayer... Prayer is how we put our trust in God. I mean, what do you think Psalm 56 is other than David's prayer of trust in God? Now, the great benefit of prayer isn't in us exercising control over the the situations in our life, but it's in relinquishing control. It's in giving control over to God. We think that there must be some great process in order to, to put our trust in God But ultimately, it just comes down to asking God to take control of the situations, to take control of the things that are going on in our life. Relinquish your control and ask God to take control of these situations. A prayer does this. That's the great benefit of prayer. It's not in making things happen, but it's in letting God make things happen. Um, If you did desperately want something else to do... um, to, to trust in God more greatly, I'll I'll give you this: Do not neglect your daily time with God, your daily time in His Word, getting to know who He is through His own page, through the pages of this book that we have. I didn't bring a Bible; <laughs> um, I just gestured to where, where the Bible was in my notes. Um, and and your daily time in prayer with God. I like, get to know this God that we have, because that is going to help you to put your trust in Him. If you want to go on your Trust of God and trust of your, less in your trust of yourself or in other things. Daily, daily devotion to God's word and to prayer are going to be your best friend. They're going to help you to do that because you will see the why of why we can trust God. And so here um, comes David's why in verses eight to eleven. So we we know when life gets overwhelming, we should put our trust in God, um, and we, we just I've just told you the the one word answer on how we should put our trust in God. But how can we be confident that God is someone who we can trust? Like, why should we trust in God in the first place? So we see in uh, David in verse 9, is confident that God is worthy of his trust. He makes a statement of trusting God. He says, then my enemies will turn back. By this, I will know that God is for me. If you read it in Hebrew, um, and I've got my little Bible program up on my computer and right-clicked all the words to, to see them, um, it, it's far more confident than we, than we get here in the, the NIV, in our English translation. Um, what it should really say, that um, by this I will know that God is for me, is this I know, surely God is for me. So much more confident. And David is confidently stating his trust in God. There's no question, there's just sheer trust and sheer confidence. Now, what can mere mortals do to David when he has this sort of trust in God? But what is the reason for his confidence? It's, I mean, we get that he trusts him, but, but why, does his trust him? It, why does he trust him? Why does he trust him? David says, "Then my enemies will turn back." So what actually is making the enemies turn back? What is the proof? And we see the answer there in verse eight. It is God's meticulous care of David, which is making his enemies turn back when David calls. Because he knows and they know that God cares about David. So when David puts his trust in God, he's going to follow through. The NIV is maybe the worst out of all the translations for this verse. Um, the the ESV, if you've got got that with you today, wonderful. It has this verse perfectly. It's really, really wonderful. Um, the ESV says this in verse 8 You have kept account of my tossings. You have put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? You have kept account of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Like, this is what drew me to the psalm in the first place. Like, I've been going through the psalms in my daily reading, and I came back to this one because I remembered this line. It's such an encouragement whenever I think about it, whenever I, I dwell on it. God keeps a record of our tears, noting down every one and storing them as precious things. That's how much God cares about you. Um, up until a couple of weeks ago, I used to work at a petrol station and sometimes we would get, um, get people coming in and they would have their notebooks with them and they would record the fuel that they got. Uh, they'd hop out their car and say, yep, just to the first click, young man. Okay, yep, okay. Um, and we'd, you know, Okay, I've just got to stop. Which psychopath stops at the first click? Don't you round it up to the next dollar? That's what it did for five years. And so every time I was always like going to go a little more for these people. I'm like, oh, no, wait, they only wanted one click. They're that passionate about getting their fuel economy right in their book. But after you'd fill, fill, fill their car up. They would note down in the, the book the price of the fuel, how much they got, you know, how much the dollar amount was. I mean, we could have printed out a receipt with all of, all of it on there, but they wanted to do it themselves, looking at their bowser. Um, and so they'd have these books, and they could probably tell you what the price of fuel was 10 years ago. They could probably tell, some of them would showed me that they had probably 20 years' worth of fuel records in there. They, they, they brought out, a, you know, another one of the, the notebooks they had in their console, and here it is, 20 years ago, this is what the, the price of fuel was. Meticulous care over what fuel they were putting in their car, how much, how much they were spending. But even then, they would probably still miss some entries. Even though it's in front of me, they seem to do it every single time. There would just be situations where they maybe wouldn't have the book that some of them, you know, the type of people who note down exactly how much fuel they get are the type of people to take that book out of the car and put it in an Excel spreadsheet. 100%. You just know that they would. So maybe they've left it on their desk while they were were putting it in their their car. If you do that, by the way, wonderful, really good. I I tried it for maybe a month when I was going to uni and I couldn't keep it up. I was constantly just forgetting my book all over the place. Uh, Maybe they're in a rush. Maybe they're only getting $20 a fuel because they've they've absolutely got to go. So they can't stop and and note down the fuel. Maybe someone else filled the car and they didn't know to fill out the book when when they did that. I, like, what I'm saying is, is, as meticulous and as careful as it is, it wouldn't be a perfect record of exactly every drop of fuel that went into that car. But God's record of our tears is perfect. The ones that you told everybody about and you, you let everyone see, He noted them down, He stored them. The ones that you shared in secret when you were all on your own, maybe watching a Disney movie, maybe you were, maybe it was something far, far more serious. God noted them. God stored them. The ones that you shared in your heart as it broke. It didn't come out of your eyes, but God felt it in your heart. Those tears. Every tossing, every tear, every anxious moment is noted and stored for every person, for you. I think in the light of the cross and in light of some of those new this has a new weightiness about it when you think about how we weren't weren't always followers of God. We haven't been Christians and haven't always loved God the way that we should. When we didn't care about following God, He still stored and noted every single tear. When you were far off from God, He still stored every tear. And when you were God's enemies, when you hated God, He still counted every anxious second that you had and He stored every tear that fell from your eyes. God cares about David and God cares about us. That's what he does for us in our anxious moments as well. The reason that David can have such confidence that his enemies will turn back when he calls on God is the meticulous care that David knows that God has for him. The reason that he can say in verses 3 and 4 and in verse 11, when I'm afraid, I put my trust in you, is because he knows how completely in control God is of this situation and how much he cares about David. The reason that you can trust God is that God cares about you. So does that mean that life is going to be 100% perfectly easy from now on because you know that? Obviously, it's not going to be. Obviously, it's not going to be. But when it isn't, you can trust that God sees you. That God sees you and that God cares about you. But where do we turn to Instead. I mean, we, we haven't always done that and we, we probably won't always do that from now on. But what other things do we put our, trust in God, uh, put our trust in instead of God? Is it our money? Is it our intelligence? Is it our material wealth that we trust in instead of turning to God? Do you think that they care about you nearly as much as you care about them? Will your money stop and count your tears as they fall from your face? Will your great intellect make your enemies run when they see it? I mean, some of us would like to think that they would, but it's not true. It's not true. Put your trust in God and do not be afraid, because He cares so deeply about you. Right here, uh, last couple of verses in this in this passage, verses twelve and thirteen. They seem to feel a little different from the rest of the passage, if, you, if you've given them a read. Um, you've got, got a future tense and you've got a past tense in there. It seems a little bit different than the, the present situation that David's in. Um, we, we we see David saying what he will do and what God has done for him. So it's likely that these were added later by David. I know we like to think that the, the Bible writers just sort of sat there and wrote down every single thing and it was all prophetic and whatever, um, But in the psalms, sometimes people came back to it and they added things after the situation had resolved itself. Um, I reckon that's probably what's happened here in verses 12 and 13. The situation's worked itself out and now David's saying, well, I'm going to give a thank offering to you because this is what you've done for me. So, verse 13 tells of how God has kept David safe. He's delivered me from death and my feet from stumbling. David's trust in God wasn't misplaced. Yeah, this is the result, I trusted in God and he pulled through, this is what he's done for me. Like David's crediting God with the deliverance rather than his, um, his flawless impersonation of an insane person in front of the king of Gath. But this isn't all that David does to acknowledge God's action, he doesn't leave in verse 13 saying, geez God, you got my back, you uh, delivered me from death and my feet from stumbling, no worries mate, I'm going to hide in this cave. But he, he does something else, he promises some sort of action, some sort of physical response in, um, in some sort of physical response, in response to, to God's own action. So if you look with me in verse 12 there, David's saying, "I am under vows to you, my God. I will present my thank offerings to you." David isn't just communicating, you know, it was all God. If you've all seen the American sports players, right, who, you know, they, they get interviewed in this sort of show of humbleness, they, Humbleness, humility. They, um, they say, oh yeah, no, first, firstly, I'd just like to thank God. And then you just know that they actually don't mean it. It's just such a token, lip service sort of thing that they, they're saying. Um, David's not saying that. He's saying that there's some action there that is required of him. There's something, some response that actually needs to happen. Um, and, it, and he says that it's a thank offering. Uh, thank offerings, you know, they, they, we're talking Old Testament, we're talking Israel, they're going to be a sacrifice of some sort. Um, but it, it's an irregular sacrifice. It's not one that you would do regularly as part of your, you know, your yearly, annual, monthly, weekly um, sacrifices. But it's something you would do in, in a particular moment when um, you were, were preemptively putting your trust in God, you would sometimes make this peace offering or thank offering. Or if God had done something for you, you would, you know, make this peace offering and thank offering in response. Um, it's, it's, is, <laughs> that was great. Uh, it's a, a real and physical way of, of thanking God. Um, it costs the person something. And sacrifices aren't for free, they're, they're giving away animals, they're, um, they've got different tiers of what you can give, and you're supposed to give the most excellent that you can. It costs the person something. So David has seen him deliver him from the the hands of the Philistines and he's vowing to make a thank offering in response, you know, when he isn't in a cave and um, is back in Israel probably. So how do we show thankfulness to God when he rescues us? Do we write about it in a a gratitude journal? Um, Do we tell people about the good things that he's done for us? Do we even acknowledge it at all? That we chalk it up to our own nobility? Yeah, it was my intelligence that got me out of that, or yep, it was my money which got me out of that. Do we even give God the credit for the things that he does in our life? So, gratitude journals are are good, uh, but maybe something more costly is being asked for in these more extraordinary moments of God's action. So I'm not necessarily saying that if God has done something for you this week um, that you should just uh, put $500 in the the offering as you you go out. Yeah, that's, that's... not what I'm saying at all, but do we think about the way that we acknowledge God's action in our life? Do we think about the way that we thank God for His deliverance from situations? Do you think about Him, do you thank Him in a way which costs you something? Do you thank Him at all? So, I'm I'm not saying this to make you feel like, you know, awful people because I haven't thanked God this week or um, to try and guilt you into... giving money to the church or anything like that. I'm not trying to do that. But I'm trying to challenge you around this idea. Do we thank God in a real way for the extraordinary things that He does for us? Does it cost us something to honour God for what He does in our life? We we enjoy talking about next steps here uh, a lot. So what what is your next step in thankfulness of God? You know, maybe you don't thank God at all for the things that He does. Maybe you just sort of ignore it or you don't see the work that God does in your life. Maybe it's time to give God some of the glory. Maybe it's time to give God some of the the credit for the things that He is doing in your life. The recognition is that He is the one who delivers you, not you. Maybe you already do that. Maybe you acknowledge privately to yourself that God does good things for you. Maybe it's time to thank God publicly. It's time to tell your small group about the, the thing that he did this week or tell someone over tea and coffee the thing that he did this week was, which was extraordinary. Maybe it's time to tell your co-workers when they ask about that situation that you're really, really worried about. Hey, it was God who pulled through for me and here's how he did it. But that may actually cost you something, you know, especially if you're telling it to co-workers and you're telling it to... To people outside the church, you know, and and this is why it's all sort of growth and, and next steps. Maybe you just need to tell it to your small group to get the confidence to tell it to someone at church um, over tea and coffee to get the confidence to tell it to someone at work or outside of church. Maybe you um, you are a person which acknowledges it publicly. Uh, I, I know in this church that we that we do have some people who will go out of their way to tell you about the things that God has done in their life this week, in this month. Um, and it's, it's great. I think it's wonderful that we have those people. Let them encourage you. Don't be like, oh, no, here they come again. They're just going to talk about God. We're in church, guys. We talk about God in church. Uh, but let that encourage you to, to think about the things that God has done for you this week. Has He been as active in my life as He has been in, in them? You know, desire what they have. They seem to be noticing God everywhere. So let's look for God. Um, but, but for those people, have you considered thanking God? Um, ma- maybe not in a way which is telling people about him because you, you're really good at that, but actually in a way which is maybe financial or, um, or more costly. Uh, I'm always really, really nervous about talking about money, and if you, you've sat with me at Hillsong conferences and whatever, actually, let's not bring up Hillsong this week, um, but if you've if you sat with me through Hillsong conferences, you know that I, like every time I do a, a tithing talk, I always judge it very very harshly, because it just seems like they're putting their hand out and, I don't know, uh, yeah, I'm always nervous talking about money, and and now I'm talking about money. Um, uh, uh, Like, especially in a church where I'm not on staff, I don't have any sort of concrete pastoral position here. Uh, But in these particular moments where God has pulled through in an extraordinary way, we, we see in the text that our thankfulness should cost us something. You know, David's going out of his way, he's you know, I guess financially, because this is what you would use to to pay for things. That's part of your livelihood. It's financially thanking God. And I'm not asking that it be a lot of money, I'm not saying empty your bank account into the church because God did something for you this week. But for some, it is going to be a lot of money to so the capacity of, of what you have. And for some, it's just going to be a few extra dollars on the weekly offering. But just something, some real actionable way to acknowledge the things that God is doing in your life. Thanking God for delivering you from that situation. just something, just something. All that's well and good. You know, thankfulness is important. Responding in costly thankfulness is important. I think that some of us are still in that stage before thankfulness, though. Some of us need to go this week. Just simply putting our trust in God. Coming back to the the real message of Psalm 56, it's not, you know, give God money, but it's it's put your trust in God. Give God your trust. Um, I wouldn't doubt that there are many overwhelming and fearful situations that are sitting among us in this room. I wouldn't doubt that. I mean, personally, I know of one myself. Um, my mum's over in England, right? Um, so, hear these words. I've I've gotten rid of all the the nonsense in. <laughs> no, I should call it nonsense in Psalm fifty six. But I've I've put all these like trusting statements together. Let me read it for you now. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you, in God whose word I praise. In God I trust and am not afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? You have kept account of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back when I call for help. By this I will know that God is for me. In God, whose word I praise, in the Lord, whose word I praise, in God I put my trust and am not afraid. What can man do to me? So, would you go out this week? into your worlds, trusting in God more? Would you go in the knowledge of his depth of care and his meticulous care of you? And would you go giving thanks to God for the good things that he does for us? Let me pray as we close. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you love us so, so much. Thank you that even beyond storing our tears in bottles, even beyond recording every anxious moment that we have, that you love us enough to send your Son to the cross for us, that we may be forgiven and rescued from death. God, would you help us to put our trust in you this week? Would you remind us of this love? Would you remind us of this care that you have for us, so that we would be able to confidently put our trust in you and not be afraid, knowing that you're going to work, knowing that you're in control? God, would you help us to thank you as well this week? Maybe it's financially maybe it is just simply acknowledging that you are the one at work in our life god would you look after us as we go out god would we would you be on our lips as we speak to people would our speech be seasoned with salt and full of grace as we talk to people in our worlds this week we love you but we thank you so much for loving us first in your son's precious name amen